Bloodsport, you are listening to I Saw It in a Movie, an advice podcast co-hosted by your friendly cinematic pals at Movie John. I am the old sport and classic coroner, Rosalie Kicks, and this is my film pal, The Red Herring. Ryan Silverstein. And each episode, we take a question from our listeners and go to the movies for the answer. So Ryan, it has been like a zillion years since we recorded how and amazingly amazingly it feels like even longer than a zillion years um, but uh i'm i'm doing okay uh you know i want to say as best as can be expected in the times in which we are living yeah i was just actually mentioning to ben my husband that it just seems like every week I mean, sometimes even each day we wake up to some sort of new horror (laughs) that we are dealing with. And so, yeah, um, I too am doing as well as to be expected. Uh, And I realize that when this episode does air, it will mark the beginning of a new era for Movie John. And you are now officially part of the crew and we'll be managing the website. So I, I wanted our listeners to know that. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited. Um, you know, this has been a while in the making. And I think part of us taking some time away from this podcast was to spend some more time planning out and figuring out how exactly we wanted to merge uh, Cinema 76 into Movie John. And so I think we have a ton of great people involved. Um, if you're listening to this, there's probably a ton of stuff on the Movie John website about it. Uh, I'm very excited. I'm happy to be working more with you, Rosalie, in addition to co-hosting this podcast. Uh, and I think the future is bright, at least for Movie John. Yeah, I, I'm excited to work with you too. And definitely there is so many rad things that are going to be coming out of this. And like you said, we may have disappeared for a bit, but we have been quite busy. And yeah, I can't wait to share some of the things that we're working on. And of course, we will continue uh, putting out our quarterly print scene. Uh, So like Ryan said, head over to moviejohn.com. There's a lot of information about some of the changes and the updates that we made. Yeah, and there's even more to come. I'm, it's really difficult not to start talking about, not to blab about all right. the cool things that we're coming up with. Yeah, so make sure you're following us online at on Twitter and Instagram or wherever you get your movie John news. Um, but let's talk about movies. Uh, Ryan, what have you been watching lately? Do you have a recommendation for our listeners? Yeah, I do have a recommendation of a movie uh, that I actually purchased the Blu-ray of Unseen um, because uh, it, it, one, it was on sale very cheap, but it was a movie that I think had some sort of theatrical VOD release um, last year, but I certainly missed it. And then I heard some of the great buzz about it uh, and I really, really enjoyed Love and Monsters, which I don't know that you've seen, Rosalie. I have not seen that, but I saw that you recently logged it on Letterboxd. And 
I didn't know that they put out a physical release. I, I know it was like a video on demand when it was first initially put out. Uh, but that's great to hear that you liked it because it did seem interesting. Yeah, and it's uh, so it's Dylan O'Brien uh, who played the main kid in the Maze Runner franchise, which I think uh, is like underseen by a lot of people, but everybody I know who has watched those movies has enjoyed them. Okay. Um, Jessica Henwick is also in it. Michael Rooker is also in it. Uh, he's kind of the like, you know, elder character actor that gives the whole project a little bit of like a, you know, um, validation, like him being involved is like, you know, sort of a stamp of approval. But what's really cool about this movie in part is it is an original script. So it's not based on like a YA novel or a graphic novel or a comic book or, or a toy line or anything. Like it's actually an original screenplay. And it's about this kid who, you know, there's a horrible event in which an asteroid is about to crash into the earth. We send a bunch of rockets to uh, blow up the asteroid and what rains down on earth turns lizards amphibians and insects into giant monsters so we didn't send bruce willis no we did not send bruce willis i Um, yeah i i just recently rewatched armageddon and like i realized in the rewatch that i really have no idea what they're doing but it's so exciting like it's just so like any any movie with an asteroid like coming to destroy earth like it's just very exciting to me well i will probably watch this yeah that's all in the prologue um the main story is seven years later he reconnects with his girlfriend that he's been separated from over the radio realizes she's only some 80 miles away because now everybody lives in like underground bunkers because it's not safe to be outside and he decides to leave and go find her. And he's like a, like everybody who he lives with is like, oh, you're great because like you cook us meals and you help us, you know, with things. But like, you're not good at like fighting monsters. You like freeze because you're afraid of them. And so you going out there is like suicide. Um, and so he sort of like, you know, comes into his own, finds himself. But it's a really nice, like the tone is, similar to zombie land where like there is real danger but there's also a lot of comedy um i don't know i find the the movie was really just charming and fun to watch and you know it's the kind of thing where it doesn't need a sequel but i would totally watch one because i just enjoyed like spending time in this world with this character and just like seeing all the different things that they were doing the effects are pretty good there's um a couple of creatures that are definitely puppets and there's a lot of like goop and and other like gross <laughs> yeah gross that, things. there's like a giant frog tongue and things this sounds fun though it, it's kind of like a radio love story mm-hmm. which i'm really that's another thing i'm really into is like movies about radio guys djs <laughs> like which i did recently watch like this horror anthology where they had essentially like the radio dj was like the host of a show and he was going through these different like scary scenarios uh unfortunately it wasn't very good but i liked the concept of mm-hmm. like a radio guy just telling scary stories 
So I was hoping it was going to be better, but this movie sounds pretty fun. Yeah, it, I think it's really fun. The Blu-ray looked really good uh, at home. It's one that like, I I feel like if, you know, uh, it had been released theatrically under normal circumstances, it would have been like a surprise word of mouth hit. Because I feel like sure. the people who did see it, you know, again, kind of like the, the original Zombieland where like, you know, it was coming out and it was like not a, a huge thing. And then when people saw it, then everybody came back and brought friends to see it and things. So I think it actually would have been a huge hit. So I'm sad that it, you know, maybe will get lost in the shovel, but I think uh, anybody who checks it out, if you enjoy, like I said, goofy monster movies, especially, I would highly recommend it. Very cool. Uh, Well, for my picks this week, and I say picks because as you know, I'll be covering Sundance Film Festival in the next week or so. And it begins on January 28th and goes to the 3rd of February. And obviously this year with COVID, it's being hosted completely online, which means I don't have to worry about falling into an icy river, which is really good (laughs) because that happened to me before when I was in Park City. So I'm pretty happy that I'll be able to just stay at home in my pajamas. Um, But one of the things that I always find a bit daunting when you're going to a festival is looking through the program and finding the movies that you want to watch. Like, I don't know if it gives you anxiety, Ryan, but I'm always like questioning, like, am I picking the right ones to watch? Yeah. I mean, the list of things that doesn't give, don't give me anxiety is rather short, but um, (laughs) I think I think Sundance would be a more imposing challenge because going to like the fall festivals, especially the Philadelphia festival, which is pretty late in the season, I usually have a pretty good idea of what has played at other festivals and what the reaction was. So I feel like, you know, I'm still trying to take a chance on something and obviously come to things with an open mind. And there's usually things that I haven't heard of. Uh, But I feel like with Sundance, it's pretty much all unknown at that point. And I think that, that that intimidates me more. Yeah, exactly. And I will say, you know, another thing that is somewhat nice about doing these digital fests, though, is like, if I watch a movie and maybe 20 minutes in, I'm not really digging it, I can jump to another flick, Uh, which when you're in the theater setting, you know, yes, you can get up and leave, but then it's like trying to find something else to go see may be difficult. Um, but I did go through the list and I found three that I wanted to share with the listeners, because as I said, being that it's digital, you can go online and purchase tickets. Um, they are actually selling individual tickets. I believe some of the films are geolocked to us only. Um, but I believe they have their short pro short program, anyone like can watch it in the world. So that's pretty cool. Uh, But the first flick that I picked was Strawberry Mansion. And this movie is about a government agency that conducts dream audits, essentially to collect taxes on citizens' unconscious minds. And the whole story is really centering around one of their special agents who has been tasked to audit dreams of a artist that is passing away. 
and he has to enter a vast VHS archive that holds all of her dreams. And this description just sounded really cool to me. It also has a promise that it's supposed to be pretty colorful, and there is synth used for the sound and the score. So like reading all of that, I was totally sold on it. Uh, And I know you too, Ryan, like you are interested in science fiction films. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. This seemed like right up my alley. Um, But the second film that I'm also interested in is called Superior. And as you know, I will never turn down an opportunity to watch a movie that has or involves mannequins, wax, or dolls. But this movie has twins. And I don't know, I really like stories about twins. Like, they tend to be kind of creepy, but... I don't know. Like, how do you feel about it? (laughs) Because I just find twins to be interesting. uh, I definitely find twins interesting. I prefer twins to dolls, for sure. (laughs) Um, I did watch the Hammer Horror Twins of Evil last fall. Uh, Oh, yes. I had a lot of fun with it. Mm -hmm. So I, I find movies about adult twins really interesting. Um. Not so much child twins, but that's just because movies about children are just either unsettling or stressful most of the time. (laughs) Yeah, and twins, like, I just find it's double the trouble. They, and there tends to be secrets and, like, unknown things that you end up learning about. So it's just fun. And this movie is a feature debut from a female film director. And I do always try or or strive to try to look for either first-time filmmakers at Sundance and especially women. Uh, And this year they have quite a number. I think they have 71 features and like 38 of them are from first-time filmmakers so it's pretty cool so i will definitely be checking out superior and then my last pick that i'm going to share is called passing and this has a stellar cast uh it consists of tessa thompson ruth nega and alexander skarsgård among other people as well uh but whenever i do see Tessa Thompson's name, I tend to be interested in the film. And I love that she keeps doing these, like, I would say period pieces. This film in particular is set in the 1920s. And it was adapted from a 1929 novel from a lady named Nella Larson. And essentially, it's about these two former high school classmates that unexpectedly bump into one another and it turns their life kind of upside down from there. But it is directed by an actor turned filmmaker, Rebecca Hall, who, Mm. yeah, I, I really like her and I'm just like really interested to see, you know, how this movie turned out. Um, especially because it being set in the 1920s, which I always think is fun to watch, like in terms of production design and costumes. So that's probably like this movie in particular, probably has like the biggest, I would say, cast, like people 
that are more famous because oftentimes like in the Sundance films it tends to be also new actors you know people that are just entering the scene yeah that that movie does sound really interesting uh and I was just thinking about like you know actresses turned director as kind of like a new trend because we had Regina King's One Night in Miami which I really enjoyed and then uh, I'm looking forward to Bryce Dallas Howard uh, eventually directing a film because uh, okay. both of her episodes of the Star Wars Mandalorian TV show have been very good. I think uh, her one from this most recent season was actually my favorite, like from a direction point of view, my favorite episode of the, se- of the whole season. Oh, cool. Yeah, there definitely has been a lot of actor turned filmmakers. Like I was just thinking about when Brie Larson made a movie. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that they give an interesting perspective, obviously, because they're used to being in front of the camera. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to see what Rebecca did with this film. And again, I really do like Tessa, but then seeing also like Ruth Nega in it, because she, I find her to always give a great performance. So yeah, uh, I would definitely agree with that. Yeah. So I was going to mention that you can check out more of my flick picks over at moviejohn.com. And then you can also check out one of our fellow staff writers, Gary Kramer. He also has provided some of the flicks that he's going to be checking out at the fest and the both of us will be covering um, the fest so you can follow on twitter instagram and then just keep an eye out on our website for reviews Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun i'm excited yeah i always look forward to like i think of sundance is like how i plan out things i need to watch for the rest of the year but uh, I actually didn't even know that they were doing individual tickets. So I'll have to see if there's a couple of flicks I want to try to catch. Yeah. And they're fairly inexpensive. Like, I think they're only selling them for $15, which, you know, I know you went to a couple of the online fests as well. And I just feel some of them were a bit pricey, um, you know, being that you are at home. But I think, again, you know, Sundance did have a bit more time to get the digital platform worked out, which from my understanding on one of the calls they had, they built a lot of it from like the ground up, but they had close to almost a year to get it ready, whereas some of the fests had to turn it around in a couple of months. So, yeah, and I mean, personally, I I feel like $15 isn't too bad because I would imagine going in person you know for like my wife and i to watch a movie it would cost more than that so oh my gosh both watch it at home for 15 makes sense to me yeah i mean that's as much as i love going there i mean it's it's a festival i love that it's at the beginning of the year because it kind of energizes me about film again and gets me excited but yeah it is definitely pricey to go because with the lodging your airfare and all of that and then food and things it does add up really quickly so it's kind of nice that like I said this year I can be in my pajamas like I and one of the things I have been enjoying about the digital fest is that you can pause the the film if you get hungry or you have to take a restroom break which is nice um but with that said, I I can't wait 
till we can go back to the theater. Uh, I really do miss that experience. Yeah, I, I'm not even going to get started on talking about how much I miss that, but <laughs> I fully agree with you that I can't wait till it's safe to go back and I'm able to do so. Yeah. All right. Well, are you ready for this week's question? Definitely. Okay. Dear, I saw in a movie, I'm a teen, and now that winter is here, I'm looking for the best teen book series that were also made into movies so that I can stay busy over the next few months. What teen book series turned into movies would you recommend? Sincerely, Typical Teen. So uh, Yeah, so uh, go ahead. Did you want to start, Ryan? Yeah, yep, I can start. Okay, go ahead. Uh, so the first thing I want to shout out, um, these are both series where I've not read the books. So I can't vouch for the books themselves. But I will say, just because I mentioned it earlier, I w- want to reiterate that the Maze Runner film series is actually really fun and really excellent. Um, so I highly recommend those. And I, f- I feel like a lot of people have not seen them. Um, but my main recommendation is my my actual favorite uh, teen book series turned into film, again, just having seen the films, is the five film long uh, Twilight Saga. Oh my God. <laughs> um, starring Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson, who have single-handedly kept the flame of auteur-driven independent cinema alive in the past decade with... You know, they're they're working with directors like Claire Denis and Olivia Assayas, um, you know, David Eggers, the list list goes on and on. But, um, you know, if if it wasn't for that Twilight money, who knows what films would not have come to fruition because the the two of them specifically could choose to do whatever they wanted. So Um, you think, in essence, Twilight has saved cinema? Uh, yeah, actually. Oh my God. <laughs> um, because, you know, of, of what it meant to, meant to these people. Like, I don't think we would have gotten, you know, uh, David Cronenberg, the David, the David Cronenberg Cosmopolis adaptation. You know, I don't think we would have necessarily gotten Personal Shopper. Um, you know, at Kristen, I'm trying to think of other Kristen Stewart movies off the top of my head. Um, but you know, the, the two of them have been able to do a lot of well-regarded and very interesting independent films because they have all this this heap of Twilight money to fall back on. Oh, my God. I mean, so. I suppose. I suppose. But it's not like they're using the money to produce this independent cinema. Um, sometimes. Are they? So mm-hmm. they're using this vampire money to make stories. The hard-earned pocket money of teenage girls in the late aughts. <laughs> um, so, and and people like you. I mean, there's teenage girls, and mm-hmm. then there's the Ryans, mm-hmm. unless you're a teenage girl, which is I, fine. I, have, I am not, nor have I ever been a teenage girl. Um, but, uh, so that's that's one, one thing about the Twilight series that I feel like people don't talk about enough, is that... Uh, you know, there are, there are ripple effects, you know, I don't see a lot of Marvel actors, let's say, 
taking a lot of chances on outside projects. Um, but the I I genuinely enjoy this whole series. Um, the first film is directed by Catherine Hardwick, and the series is a romance between uh, Bella Swan, played by Kristen Stewart, and Edward Cullen, who is a vampire, played by Robert Pattinson. And it takes place in the Pacific Northwest, which is a setting that I really enjoy, having been out there a few times. And Catherine Hardwick really captures the look of the Northwest. Like, it, there's a lot of mist. There's a lot of gray, um, you know, and, and obviously greens when they get out into the woods and things. And the first movie, I would say, is like a sincere romance. And then it sort of gets weirder and more complicated and weirder as the movies go on um you know new moon introduces a love triangle with her other friend played by taylor lautner who is a werewolf um and then the further movies they come they come into conflict with the vampire council uh there's a big battle in breaking dawn uh, breaking dawn part one rather is the fourth no, movie in the franchise no wait i have a question yes. so sure. is Bella a vampire? She wants to become a vampire. That's her thing, is that she oh, falls in love with Edward. She's a human. And he's like, you don't want to become a vampire because immortality is kind of a curse. And how do they meet? Like, do they run into one another at the local diner? Like, are they going uh, to school? So they, they go to school together. And, but wait, wait, um, wait. Why does he need to go to school? Isn't he like 800 years old? Yeah, he's like 600 years old. Um, but the family moves them around from school district to school district every couple of years. Um, okay. So they can pass as human. There's actually a really good joke. I think it's in the first movie where they have framed on the wall. They have like an art design that's made out of like graduation caps okay and he's like yeah our family matriculates a lot <laughs> um because and he's been a high school kid for like you know the last hundred years that would be awful okay like absolutely awful and second so if he's like going to school then he can be out in the day yeah, so these vampires, the, the one thing about this series that is a little, I mean, that this I feel sounds... like it became famous for, yeah, uh, is that in the sunlight, his skin, the skin of all the vampires sparkles. No, no. Yes. No. This sounds absolutely bananas. Like, But that's what's, par that's what's, I mean, honestly, that is partially what's really fun about the series is that it is know. totally bananas. I don't know about um, all of this, but the, go on, go on. The fourth film, which is Breaking Dawn Part 1, is like a body horror movie where Bella becomes pregnant. And because oh, the God. baby is half human, half vampire, it causes a lot of problems. I, yeah. And are they showing like the inside of it? being made they don't really show the inside of it but you really see her suffer oh god um and you know the werewolves and vampires have been in a you know 
centuries-long conflict with each other. The uh, like I said, there's a vampire like chief council that's from Italy that shows up at one point and causes them a bunch of problems. Right. Um, Breaking Ball, Breaking Dawn Part Two, uh, after the baby is born, the there's a big battle between a bunch of the vampires because all the vampires like they also have like an extra like superpower. Okay. So like. Some of them can see the future. Some of them can run really fast, like really, really fast. Um, You know, some of them have other like psychic powers that they get. So there's like almost like an X-Men type battle in that movie. Okay. Um, It's very fun. Dakota Fanning plays um, like, you know, she appears young, but she's very, very old. Uh, Michael Sheen is one of the lead like evil vampires. It's a really, it's a really bananas, really just, it's very fun and it's very silly and it's not trying to be serious. It's not trying to be, you know, a plan of how to live your life. But I think, you know, as a series that is based on like melodramatic romance, I think it's really fun. I think they're all really fun. Now, and you've read the books as well. I have not read the books. Wow. So you so, don't know if they're, you know, true to the books. I know there's some stuff, especially in the last movie, that they added to the mm. film that makes the film better than the books. I believe, because my wife has read uh, all the books a long, long time ago at this point, but I remember her saying that she enjoys the films more. Oh, okay. Which I feel tends to be a rare occurrence, right? Mm-hmm. You know, most mm-hmm. of the time you read a book and the book is far superior than the film. I just can't get over there are five of these things. Like five. That's just incredible. Like where was I? I must have been <laughs> sleeping when that <laughs> happened. Like I remember the first one coming out. And then, like, I just immediately ignored anything happening after that. Yeah, I mean, I um, did not see the first one in the theater, um, but I saw the other four in the theater. Uh, I was working at Barnes & Noble at the time, and so it was the biggest deal. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure, when like, lines waiting yeah. well, to all get of the, the Well, yeah. Not only to get the last book, because I think the I think it was the last book that had come out while I was working there. And then as the movies were coming out, our store was in a mall and it was like down the hallway from the movie theater. So there would be like oh. lines of people coming to get like frappuccinos and things at the bookstore before the film started. Oh, wow. What a time to be alive. Mm-hmm. Very exciting. So. So, you know, we're a proud owner of the uh, Twilight Forever Blu-ray box set, which I believe has like 10 discs. Oh, my God. Is that like a copy of the movie twice? Like you have two copies? I I think each there's, you know, a copy of each movie and then there's supplements, bonus features. Supplements, yes. Yeah, I do recall, though, people getting very up in arms about the rules, you know. The walking around during the day, the glittery skin, like mm-hmm. these things, they upset people. And I want to be sympathetic to that. But on the other hand, I will say 
We've had so many vampire stories since the publication of Dracula in the 1800s that, like, this one can be a little different. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't think anyone's saying all vampires should be like this. They still have pointy teeth. They still drink blood. Okay. It's just so that they can go to school. I the school thing is troubling to me. Like I just can't imagine being in school for the rest of my life. Well, yeah. for eternity, essentially. No thanks. Yeah, I mean they basically they, also they basically meet because uh, I believe they're in chemistry class together, and of she course. just smells really really good. Oh my god! Because they have like you know a higher developed sense of smell. As sure. Vampires. Yes. Yes. They're probably lab partners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some, yeah. Yeah. I think they, I actually think they are lab partners because she's new to town because that's where her dad lives and she's living with her dad instead of her mom for a little while. Okay. Yeah. This typical is teen very, stuff. Yeah. Typical teen stuff. Um, great. Um, so did you have any other recommendations? I mean, those were those were the main two series. Okay. I know there's been a lot of other, you know, series that have been made into one movie. Um, you know, obviously Harry Potter is something that I think nobody needs to recommend it to them because it's so ubiquitous. Um, you know, I enjoyed the first couple films in the Hunger Game franchise, but I feel like that that sort of trailed off in terms of quality pretty quickly. Yeah, I feel like the biggest issue sometimes with these series is they really just try to stretch it out you know Mm because they want to make that cash and like when you said wow there are five movies like weren't there only three books uh there's four books oh there's four okay they they split the last one into two sure but yeah some of these series they just they try to I just feel that they overdo it with the films you know and then you lose that quality because of the quantity right I mean that's kind of what happened to Divergent which I actually enjoyed those movies as they were coming out okay. um, I think they're really fun but they never actually finished the story because whatever the last one they made was did so poorly at the box office that they they were like going to pivot it to television or something and then it just never came oh, to wow. fruition so yeah and then that's, that's like um, that's disappointing then you know yeah. you don't have any yeah. sort of closure which yeah. the twilight complete yeah. story um <laughs> like i said maze runner also complete story uh i would definitely recommend you know the other one i, I guess that i just want to mention because it is very much like a teen early 20s story even though it's Several volumes of graphic novels, they made it into one movie, but Scott Pilgrim versus the world, you know, if anyone hasn't seen that, they should check that out as well. Yeah, that that movie's fun. It's been a while since I've watched it, but yes, and there are lots of books. Yeah, I want to say that's like, it's at least six, it's like six or eight Mm -hmm. graphic novels. Mm -hmm. But I do, before I move on to my choices, I do want to keep a tally now. This is the second time you've brought up Twilight on this program, and I'm going to track. (laughs) I'm going to track how many times it's recommended, because I've never seen it. Well, at some point, 
I think you should watch it because I would I would just love to see your reaction to it. You know, and it is funny, like you'd think it'd be something I'd watch, you know, but I think I am one of those people. I I do get upset about this glittery skin, the day walking. It's troubling to me. Yeah. I mean, I will say the glittery like the... skin gets downplayed after the first movie. Okay. Um, and then the day walking, you just kind of accept it. And like the Pacific Northwest is pretty cloudy and overcast most of the time. Sure. So, so they could get away with some day walking. Yeah. It's it's more ideal of a location for a vampire than, say, uh, Las Vegas. I mean, in, in, in some ways. Right. Um, or Florida. Right. Or like Arizona, you know, yeah. where it doesn't get dark until like 10 o'clock and they only have like a couple hours to do whatever they need to do. Right. Yeah. So, like I said, I, so people could certainly describe them as trash or trashy and <laughs> that's fine. But I feel like, I just feel like there are qualities in the, I feel like the, um, the, the bananas nature of it is part of the appeal for me is what I'm going to say. Okay. Well, maybe eventually, who knows, you know, I won't have anything to put on and I'll throw on a twilight. We'll see. Uh, so I believe I may have mentioned on previous episodes, you know, I really only started to avidly read about a year or so ago. Um, so I'll be honest, like this question was kind of hard for me because I had to do some digging into series, you know, that I have read, which is few, but my initial thought was to recommend the hit TV program, Riverdale, which I realize is not a movie and I don't want to go on too much of a tangent, but I absolutely love Riverdale. And I realize that this is considered probably trash, you know, teen trash, but mm -hmm. there are so many nods in this show to old cinema, um, which is why I feel I can somewhat count it as an answer. And like, for example, in season three, episode 11, they do a show that is completely like a noir movie. It's so awesome. And I love that Betty and Jughead are detectives, essentially, throughout the series. And they're like solving all of these weird mysteries in Riverdale. And I don't know if you know this, Ryan. You probably do. But each episode title is inspired by a movie. Did you know that? I did not know that, actually. I did watch the first season and some of the second season. Um, okay. I think I only dropped off Riverdale because the CW interface was extremely annoying. Oh, see, how I've been watching it is, and I'm actually on the last episode of season four. Season five comes out. Actually, it might be out by the time this airs. But anyway, I have been watching it on Netflix, so I haven't had to deal with any sort of CW issues. Um, but yeah, every episode is 
essentially inspired, well, the title is inspired by a movie. So like some of my favorite ones, they named an episode, The River's Edge, which is one of my favorite Crispin Glover films. There's one called The Lost Weekend, which is a Ray Milan picture. They have one called In a Lonely Place. So what I was thinking would be cool for our typical teen is if you're looking to go down a rabbit hole, I mean, they could seek out some of these films that inspired titles of Riverdale. And there's also obviously quite a number of books and comics that are based on the show, numerous variations of comics. I mean, at this point, they have so many spinoffs because I was actually discussing this with my husband. There's like a Jughead comic. There's Archie versus Zombies. Like there is so many titles. I, I And I don't know if you read any of them. Uh, I will say I love Archie comics in general. Um, and I would highly recommend the series that started in uh 2007 i believe uh which is like the new new look period um i know that it was mark wade and i'm trying to remember the name of the the artist um i want to say it was veronica fish that might be wrong um but the um but they like updated the art style to be like a little less cartoony um they you know the tone was a i would say a little more serious um you know but it was like going sort of going back to back to square one oh it was 2014 sorry so yeah mark way artist was fiona staples veronica fish came in was she was the second uh regular artist to go on and that had a couple of spinoffs and things there was a really good josie and the pussycat spinoff um, there's a pretty decent Benny and Veronica story that came out of that. So I highly recommend those, especially the first, I want to say like 60 some issues. Okay. Um, were really good. It's very different from Riverdale. I would say it's more of like an updated classic Archie than it is like a genre leaning. Right. Archie. Like there's, there are, I mean, there's definitely some murder and some well, things, but it's, it's less sexy and more like all age appropriate. I want to say. Yeah, because how I would describe Riverdale, like when I started watching it, is I feel it's like a watered down Twin Peaks. Mm -hmm. Like it's definitely not as weird as Twin Peaks, but there's elements that are very similar. Um, Yeah, like I would say it's about the same ideas as Twin Peaks, but you're right, not as idiosyncratic. It's very straightforward. Mm-hmm. Like Twin Peaks, I don't know if you've watched a lot of that, but I'm obsessed with it. You watch an episode and oftentimes you're left with this feeling of what the hell did I just watch? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to I have to either rewatch it again or like think about it for a week. Uh, Riverdale is obviously very digestible, very easy to understand. Um And just a note on, they do have like a young adult fiction line, which of course, yes, I've gotten into. There's like about five books that have been put out at this point, but what's pretty cool about them 
is that they are all original stories. So they aren't stories like that were on the show previously. But I do find them to be fun reads. Uh, my husband, Ben, makes fun of me for reading them. <laughs> because they are like basically each chapter is like a perspective of one of the characters. So like that's kind of how you find out about the story. Um, okay. But I was reading this one entitled The Maple Murders and Ben read over my shoulder and I'm going to share this passage with you. And then he just could not stop laughing. This was written by Jughead, Riverdale, Our Town, loosely translated. It means the valley by the river. <laughs> and Ben just like thought that was hilarious. And now he like repeats it to me regularly. <laughs> because he I mean, thinks it's funny again i think all this stuff is fun like i one of my big shifts in the past year is to like try not to take things quite so seriously right uh, and so this certainly falls under that umbrella well yeah i mean it's definitely escapism for me especially with everything that's going on but i'll tell you in learning about the nods to cinema like there is an episode with an evil doll which it's like brahms the boy it's so cool and then there's like this whole other episode where it's clearly been influenced by psycho um, because you have like a norma bates type character and so like there are these kind of like i guess people refer to them like easter egg type things that if you are a cinephile, you get it. But if you're not really into cinema, that's okay. Like, it's not going to keep you from understanding what's going on. Right. It's just like, ooh, I know what that's from, you know? Um, I think stuff like this, you know, uh, where it's, you know, like I said, a little trashy escapism, it's a light, but made right. by people who are very smart and very aware of things. Like, that's some of my favorite stuff. Sure. Yeah, and I'm pretty excited. I actually picked up one of the recent YA novels that they put out is where Jughead becomes a werewolf. And I'm hoping this leads to some more, like, Archie horror things. We'll see. But yeah, the um, the Archie horror comics are really good. The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina is very fun. Satan is in that a lot. Um, and then the... Afterlife with Archie is Archie um, and Riverdale experiencing a zombie outbreak. Yes. And um, that I that comic series I was reading and it was quite enjoyable. Um, but yes, yeah, Sabrina, I haven't checked out yet, but that is next on my list. And before I move on from Archie, the last thing I was going to mention is if our typical teen has not seen the 2001 movie Josie and the Bus. Josie and the Pussycats, I highly recommend it. I actually just rewatched that recently, and it's such a great film. That movie is fantastic, um, and it only gets better and better the more times that I've seen it. Um, you know, I, I saw it in the theater way back in the day. Uh, my, my wife actually gifted me uh, the soundtrack on vinyl that Mondo had wow. put out a couple years ago. Okay, yeah. Uh, which has... All of the Josie and the Pussycat song songs on a purple 
uh, vinyl record, and then it comes with an EP that has the two du jour songs from the film. Very nice. Separately. <laughs> yeah, I I have the CD, um, but that vinyl sounds awesome. Now, I did just have one other pick, um, because we are a movie program. I did seek out a film series for Typical Teen that is based on books from R.L. Stein's Fear Street. Uh, I don't know if you were real into Fear Street series, but they were introduced in 1989 as like teenage horror or thriller books. And as a child, I loved these books. Did you read them too or no? I feel like I read a few Fear Streets, um, but I definitely devoured many, many Goosebumps books. Okay. So I'm, I am familiar with the work of R.L. Stein. I will say, that at the very least, the first Goosebumps movie from a couple of years back was also really fun with Jack Black. So it's funny. Like, I know I'm, like, slightly older than you because when – the Goosebumps, I did not get into as much as the Fear Street. Like Fear Street, I had almost all of them. And I, when I was a kid, my mom would take us to the mall. And I, oh, I still remember like going into Walden Books and I would look mm-hmm. at all the covers. And some of them scared me, <laughs> but I kind of liked being scared. Uh, but I would always, it was such a hard decision to like pick the one I wanted. Like I would have to lay them out and like really study the covers. Like which one am I going to pick? Cause my mom would let me get one. Um, but the reason I bring them up is because I, this was all just coincidence. I, you know, again, looking for escapism in this, you know, hell pit we live on. I have recently started going back to Fear Street uh, because my one friend of the show here, Mr. Clink, he sent me a few Fear Street books. And it's really like made me, you know, get back into reading them. But then I also was Googling and learned that I guess Netflix is developing or they developed and produced a trilogy that will be premiering over the summer and they're going to release a Fear Street movie like one a month in the summer. And I just think that is so cool. So if typical teen wanted to like read the books now over the winter, by the time you're done in the summer, these movies will be coming out. And apparently they're directed by Lee Janik. And I'm not sure if you caught her 2014 feature Honeymoon. But many people in the horror community really liked that film. I saw it. I I enjoyed it as well. And so I think it's going to be interesting to see what she does with these Fear Street movies. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Um, Especially them being a trilogy. I think that's actually really fun. Um, And like looking at the cast list, it looks like Jillian Jacobs is in them. And I enjoy her as an actress very much. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, I will have to add those to my watch list. Yeah, I think it's cool that they like the way that they're releasing them, you know, it because it'll give it'll be something to do over the summer. Like, I am hoping by then, you know, maybe we can see people again. But either way, I could see it being a lot of fun, like having a watch party, even if it's virtual, um, 
as they get released. And especially too, like leading up to the spooky season, because I'm imagining they're going to come out like June, July, and August. So mm-hmm. something to watch out for. Um, I'm definitely going to check. Hear something. Oh, sure. Uh, do you want to hear something exciting about the production of the Fear Street films? Of course. Yes. So they they filmed in a mall in Georgia because the the films apparently take place in 1994. Yes. So they renovated part of the mall to include a music land, a Gadzooks, a casual corner, a software, etc., and a B. Dalton. Oh my god. See, this is this is going to be great. I, I can't wait. And I'm definitely going to check them out, too, because as you know, Ryan, um, my friend, my film pal, Katie McBrown and I are starting a new podcast on the Movie John podcast network called Best Friends Forever. And essentially, it's going to be a slumber party that will be transmitted to your ears monthly. And we will discuss films with our favorite heartthrobs in them and then other teen stuff because we're basically also teens <laughs> but our I'm first forward to listening to that yeah our first episode will debut in february and again a lot of things planned for that show but i don't want to share them here you'll just have to wait and listen i'm i'm definitely looking forward to eavesdropping on that slumber party <laughs> Yes. And maybe, Which sounds weird now that I say it out loud. <laughs> and maybe you can even come on, and who knows, maybe when we finally watch Twilight. I don't know if she watched Twilight. I'll have to ask Katie. But I feel I like say, I would want to watch them with her. I can say with zero authority whatsoever that I feel like they would be great slumber party movies. <laughs> yes. Um so yeah, I I hope we helped typical teen out, you know. I, I, like I said, you know, I feel the Riverdale books are just so fun. Fear Street is so fun, and I don't know, like escapism is good. Like we need it. Mm-hmm. Escapism is one of the many things that film is capable of, and. You know, I urge any Twilight skeptic to go into the series with an open mind and just enjoy it for what it is. We'll see. We'll see. So before we sign off, don't forget that you can find a breakdown of all the episodes on moviejohn.com, where you can also subscribe to our quarterly print movie zine. And our first issue of 2021 will be coming out soon, and we're celebrating and featuring the use of color in film. So don't let the gray days of winter get you down. You can get lost in the brilliant hues of Movie John's winter issue which is available for pre-order now at moviejohn.com shop. You can also follow the show on social media at I Saw It In A Movie. And if you're seeking advice, send us questions to dearisawitinamovie at gmail.com. And don't forget, we also accept postal mail. You can send us a letter at P.O. Box 20172, Philadelphia, P.A., 
19145 Attention Movie John. And Ryan, where can people find you? Uh, so you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Silver Whatever. And then my writing will also be uh, on MovieJohn.com. And I have uh, some cool stuff planned for the upcoming zine issue you, you mentioned. Yeah, I'm excited to read your articles. And I'm also excited too. something I did want to mention about Movie John, because I was talking about a TV show earlier, is we are entering the foray of TV coverage. And actually, you're kicking that off. And I'm excited about that. I'm very excited about that as well. Yeah, I am currently recapping uh, WandaVision, the Disney Plus show for Movie John. Yeah, so very exciting stuff. Um, and then as for me, you can find me on Instagram at the.oldsport or Twitter at bonjouroldsport. And you can also check out my other podcast, Cinematic Crypt, in which I go six feet under to uncover films of Hollywood's past. And you can find that wherever you catch your pods or download over at moviejohn.com. Now, before we go, Ryan, did you have a piece of advice for our listener? Yeah, I mean, this isn't a quote from any of the Twilight films, uh, but I will say that don't let anyone tell you that you shouldn't sparkle. <laughs> now, do you did you purchase glitter after the films? Like after you saw No, the- I personally have a strong aversion to glitter, but I'm saying oh, I support right. anyone else who who See, wants to do so. That's another reason, like I guess I'm kind of shocked with myself for not watching them because I mm-hmm. love glitter. As you know, I I'm love well aware. I love <laughs> mailing glitter. Like I just find it so thrilling. Like when I drop it into the post box, and then I think about, ooh, when this person opens this mail, it's gonna get all over the place. <laughs> like I just think that's fun. But anyway, so I too, my advice isn't from a film or the show per se. It's actually compliments of a Fear Street cover, The Cat. And the advice is C-A-T spells murder. Because, yes, cats are totally capable of murder. So That's wonderful. You should watch your back. Meow. <laughs>